You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor Gare Jones. As the Bassets come round, this morning we are in our second week of a series called God's Vintage Church. Looking through the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, that God has an agenda in mind to heal humanity and to bring his disparate, divided people into a family. The whole goal, the whole heart of God is not that you just would be individually born again into his family, but by being born again into his family, we would become a family. We would become a people of God that truly reflects the person of God. We looked last week at kind of why we're called Vintage Church is this image of God as the winemaker and the vineyard owner and his church is to be kind of like his vintage wine. That every now and again, if you know anything about wines, and my wife and I had the joy of living on a vineyard for a season, that a year, that a vintage wine is something, there's something special about that year, that the ingredients in that bottle have so matured over the years that when it's uncorked, it's special, it's beautiful, it's, it's matured over the years into something significant. And that's kind of like God's church. He's bringing all of us, us together in this bottle called the local community and with the ingredients of God with us. He matures us, he develops us, he grows us into his vintage church. Over time, God the winemaker is maturing us and growing us so that when someone tastes of his church, and I love wine tasting to kind of guess the complexity and the flavor profile. In that sense, God has a flavor profile for his vintage church. His flavor profile is that we might be a community that enjoys the presence of Jesus, that we might be like Jesus, that we might be doing the things of Jesus. This is the flavor profile of God's vintage church. This is what we long for. We long for this type of community. We were created for this type of community where friendships are committed where we encourage one another, serve one another, be there for each other, go on mission together. This vintage church is what we were created for and also right now is what our city significantly needs. A community of Christ blessing the city in Christ. I don't think I need to remind you that through many things, in particular the last few years, the church of Jesus Christ has lost its credibility in many ways. Many people are leaving the church, maybe not abandoning Jesus, but seeing the church not so much as God's vintage church, but kind of God's two-buck chuck. I tasted it and it made the hairs on my neck stand up. I never want to go there again. And yet Jesus is committed to his church. That though at times we are messy, though at times we are broken, though at times we do not represent Jesus well, Jesus doesn't give up on his church. He is building his vintage church. And so this series as we look at the book of Ephesians is how do we cooperate with God to become the church of Jesus Christ? Paul writes this letter called Ephesians, specifically about this question. 
How do we bridge the gap between the church sometimes we experience and God's vintage church that smells and tastes of Jesus Christ? How do we bridge the gap? How do we move from Tubuk to God's vintage? How is this gonna happen? And in our passage today, as we look at Ephesians chapter one even deeper, we will see God's strategy, God's way of moving us into the people he's called us to be. The church that we long to be, the church that we long to experience, and the church that our city needs. A church of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter one together, beginning in verse three. Ephesians chapter one, beginning in verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I'm gonna stop there for a minute. Paul begins his letter by saying, you have been blessed. When you follow Jesus, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. You become an, an owner of all the things of Christ become yours. We looked at that last week. That you are now in Christ, therefore all the riches of Christ are true of him and are true of you. But this doesn't necessarily mean you will actively live into all that you are in Jesus Christ. So he goes on, picking up in verse 13. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul is laying out God's strategy to change us, to mature us into the church that when people smell and taste God's vintage church, they taste Jesus. Paul begins by saying, we gotta pray. He says, I pray because you can't do this in your own strength. You can't white knuckle this. You can't just instantaneously go, you know what, we're gonna be God's vintage church, let's try hard. He prays. He says, I need God the Father to do this. And look what he prays in verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. God's strategy, God's methodology, God's way of transforming you, changing you, and us into a church of Jesus Christ is that he gives us his Holy Spirit. That God the Father sent God the Son and now sends us the Holy Spirit to be the one of the Godhead who changes us. In other words, we have to be very humble here and go, we can't change ourselves. God knows that. He doesn't just shout at us and go, how ridiculous is my church? but he comes alongside us and fills us with his Holy Spirit in order to change us. It's the Spirit who changes us. But here's the next fascinating thing in Paul's 
prayer. He does not pray, I pray that the, the God, our Father, may give you the Holy Spirit so that you would just be like Jesus. That the Holy Spirit would just zap you. He doesn't say, I pray the God of our Father would just give you the Holy Spirit so that the Spirit could change your, change your circumstances so that you could be more joyful like Jesus. The Spirit, in order to transform you, doesn't just take over your life and change you, nor does He change your circumstances that we go, but if these weren't here, then I'd be more like Jesus. He prays something different. One of the most important dynamics that you can understand as a follower of Jesus, this is how the Holy Spirit wants to change you. I think this is one of the most important dynamics anybody who follows Jesus has to get their head around. To cooperate with the Holy Spirit, he's not just gonna zap you into the image of Jesus, nor is he just here to take away the circumstances that seem to stop you being like Jesus. He's doing something else. And Paul explains this important dynamic as follows. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that, so you would see something so that you may know him better. And I pray, verse 18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in, the Holy Spirit, in his holy people, and you may know his incomparably great power for us to believe. Paul says, the Holy Spirit will be given to you by God, not just to take away your circumstances, although we can pray that God would intervene in our circumstances, not just to radically zap you, into the image of Christ. He's not gonna just do that to his church. What the Holy Spirit's gonna do is open your eyes, give you revelation after revelation, give you sight in your heart for the things that you have in Jesus so that you will then naturally become people of love, unity, hospitality, and do the things of Jesus. In other words, the point of the Holy Spirit is that he's a gift to you to bring all the head knowledge of what Paul says, you have all this in Christ. He says, you have all this knowledge, but this won't change you. Have you ever met someone who knows everything about the Bible, but is nothing like Jesus? Where someone seems to quote chapter and verse, but they're mean and angry. Where they've memorized scripture like mad, but they're full of worry and anxiety. He says, Truth matters, but truth by itself won't change you. Verse three, you have everything already in Christ, but that won't be enough. Head knowledge doesn't mature you into God's vintage church. He says, you need the Holy Spirit to have your, the eyes of your heart capturing what you already have in your head. See, in the Bible, the heart is the place of motive, is the place of your deepest desires, is, is the place out of which you actually live. See, you live as you love. What your heart's greatest desires are are what you ultimately do. In fact, 
The desires of your heart always trump the good ideas of your head, right? It's your heart that is the, the source of your behavior. It's the heart that's the source of your decisions. It's the heart that's the source of your dreams. And Paul says you can have all this head knowledge, but until the heart is alive with the things of God, then your life won't change. Deep change happens when your heart sees all the things of God. So the eyes of your heart to be enlightened and the spirit of revelation is Paul saying, you need to welcome the Holy Spirit in your life, welcome the Holy Spirit in your church so that your heart is on fire for the things of God, not just your head understanding the things of God. Experience matters. Experience of God matters because it's when you have experienced the things of God, you start to live in response to the things of God. I grew up in the church. I grew up memorizing scriptures. I grew up singing kids' songs that rehearsed all the things of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. But it meant nothing in my heart, and so nothing in my life was changing. It was pretty dry. I could absolutely answer any question that anybody would put to me but it wasn't alive in my heart, so it didn't actually change anything. In fact, by the time I was 17, I was a bit of an arrogant jerk. I was riddled with performance anxiety. I was actually manipulating people to make me look better. I was doing all the things that actually a heart not alive in Jesus would do. I had it all in my head, but nothing in my heart. Experience. Matters. So one day, when I was 17, actually, I went to a big kind of tent meeting. It was like a, an annual conference for all of the churches that we were part together, network, we'd all meet together. And there was a high school ministry, but I was arrogant, thought I was way too cool for high school ministry. So I went into the main kind of adult session and walked into the back of the room, actually the back of this tent, there was about 5,000 people there. And they were singing this song, and I'd listened to these words all my life. I knew this song, when I surveyed the wondrous cross. I mean, we were more of a charismatic tradition church, rarely sang here. Hymns, but this hymn was being sung, and I remember singing it going, yeah, 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 I know the words. Yeah, 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 I've sang hymns in school every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was something about that time where I was singing that song where the Holy Spirit took that truth in my head and plunged it into my heart. It felt like the eyes of my heart were open. I remember it distinctly. I remember worshiping and singing this song and my eyes were closed, but then I could see and it was vivid when we were singing, were the whole realm of nature mine? That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. And I saw, I literally felt Jesus on the cross. I literally experienced what it was like to be at the foot of the cross, that my sins, my behavior, my tragic choices had actually put him there. And I started to weep and I realized how much I'd been forgiven, how much he loved me, how much he cared for me, how much he wanted to restore me. And I fell on my knees in that tent and I was weeping that I finally could see and taste and experience 
the forgiving love of Jesus Christ. And my life then was never the same. I knew it growing up. But as Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Experience matters. It's what the psalmist says, Psalm 34, remember he doesn't say, memorize and see that the Lord is good. He doesn't say, read and see that the Lord is good. He doesn't say, believe and see that the Lord is good. What does he say? Taste, taste and see that the Lord is good. I believe we've done a great disservice in church in our country that we have not created spaces where people can taste and they've only been told. That a church that becomes God's vintage is a church that allows freedom for the Holy Spirit to move amongst us that we may taste. That we may taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience matters. One of my favorite stories is of an elderly couple who were approaching their 50th wedding anniversary and they had a long marriage but a very argumentative marriage. I mean, they'd argued every day for 50 years and their children were tired of how much they were arguing. So finally, when the children were thinking, what do we give our parents for their 50th wedding anniversary? Some of them said, you know what, enough's enough. We're gonna send them to a marriage therapist. This is absolutely terrible, they're still arguing. So on their 50th wedding anniversary, they gave this couple, their parents like 10 sessions, 10 all paid sessions to a wedding, so a marriage therapist. And so the parents received the gift, argue about whether they should receive the gift or not. Uh, but eventually they said, okay, well, because our kids bought it, they went off to see the marriage therapist. And they walked in, they were arguing who should sit where, who should start talking first. And they sat down and the therapist said, well, hang on, let me, let me ask you a few questions. So he asked them a couple of questions and guess what they did? They started to argue. And eventually the marriage therapist just went, stop already, stop. I'm gonna do something I've never done before in all of my years of therapy. And so he stood up. He walked behind the desk to this elderly lady, picked her up and leant in and kissed her on the lips for a very long time. The husband was like, oh my, what are you doing? And he stopped and then he looked at the husband and said, this is what she needs three times a week. (laughs) And so the husband just looks at his wife looks at the therapist and says, okay, doctor, I'll bring her in Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. (laughs) You see, experience is what she needed. Experience is what the Holy Spirit is all about. God wants to bring us into an experience of his love, an experience of his sovereignty, an experience of his grace, an experience of his shepherding, an experience of his goodness, experience of his redemption, an experience of his forgiveness, an experience of his awesome power so that, so that when we experience those things, we can never live the same way again. And we become a people who live out of having seen the goodness of God in our lives. 
That's why later on in chapter three, Paul prays once again in his letter. And you may know it's a very famous prayer, but he says, oh my gosh, I pray that you may know that. He says, you may have the power from the Spirit to know how high and wide and long and deep is the love of God. You're a Christian, you've known this, you've been told it, you've probably memorized these verses, but it won't do anything until you know it here. And maybe you're here today going, man, I've been to church all my life or I've, been, I've heard every sermon in the world and I'm bored of sermons and particularly bored of you guys saying the same things over and over again. But, oh my word, but could it be true that this is actually available for me to experience? That's the whole point of the Holy Spirit. I pray that God may give you the Spirit that you may know, that you may know in your heart. I was on the, a, a youth camp, a young adult camp, and I was supposed to be, well, I was speaking. I was invited to speak at this young adult camp. But I remember going into this weekend very dry, very riddled with some stresses in my life. And I felt, oh my word, what am I going to give? I was actually very nervous about speaking. I was young. It's the first time I've ever gone to any kind of young adult group to speak. And I grew up with a stammer, and sometimes it's still around when I am tired and I just thought, what if I stammer my whole way through this? And I was riddled with anxiety and I'm supposed to be the guest speaker. I remember going up to my hotel room. Well, it was a beautiful room of this rented house uh, on the sands of Wilmington. Do you know Wilmington, North Carolina? And I remember going up to my room going, God, oh my word, you've got to break through. I'm riddled. I remember I put on some worship music and it was this song that I just kept repeating over and over again, oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. It's like John Mark McMillan's song and, and I was listening to it. I'd heard it many times before and I enjoyed it many times before, but that moment, it was as if the Holy Spirit broke in and took the words and put flesh on them and plunged them into my heart that I was weeping on the floor with the love of Jesus Christ for me. I was just overwhelmed with how much he loves me, what he's done for me. That God would care this much about little old me. And I remember standing up going, God, I don't need to be afraid by anything. Even if I stammer my whole way through this, you've got me. I don't need to impress anybody because you've solidified my security in how much you love me. Doesn't matter if I bomb this whole weekend. You'll take my terrible offering and you'll turn it into something good because that's how much you love all the people here. As so I walked downstairs, not puffed up in who I was, not looking at myself in the mirror and saying, you got this. I was puffed up in the love of Jesus Christ. My heart had melted with who he was for me the eyes of my heart had been enlightened. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew's gospel. He says to people, oh my word, it's, it's painful to see you worrying. Remember he says, don't worry, do not worry. And at the, thing, at the start you go, Jesus, I can't just stop worrying. That's the worst therapeutic advice in the world, do not worry. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, do not worry because don't you know that you have a Father in heaven who cares for every single hair on your head. Don't you know 
That he will clothe you, he'll take care of you, you don't need to worry. Don't you know that if you seek first the kingdom of God, he'll take care of your life? In other words, don't you know the father that you have? You're worrying as if you've forgotten who your dad is. And so you can have in your head who you think your father is, but Jesus is saying, oh my word, you need the Holy Spirit again to go, don't you remember who your dad is? When I was in secular industry, and I loved it, I loved being a minister in the marketplace, absolutely loved it, but whenever my review came around, I was petrified, had a bit of performance anxiety, wanted to prove myself, still trying to do that. But anyway, I think um, there was a time where I remember I was really worrying, oh my word, am I gonna get promoted? Am I actually gonna get that next rung up the ladder? And I remember constantly having to come, before I went into those meetings, I had to kneel on on the floor and say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me again. Open the eyes of my heart that my significance and my future is not in my performance review, but in the powerful God of all creation. I could know it in my head, but I need to know it in my heart. This is how God changes his church. Doesn't just say change. Doesn't say I'm going to get rid of the tough circumstances. He says, in the tough circumstances or in whatever circumstance you're in, I'm going to so explode your heart with a revelation and experience of who I am that nothing will sink you, nothing will take you down. And that actually you can walk confidently into the future because you know who's with you. Because you know. You know. But the Holy Spirit isn't just there just to give you some kind of shaken feel. He's there to give you a revelation of who God is in your life. This chart on the screen here has really helped me understand the role of the Holy Spirit. I'm mathematical by nature, so forgive, all the, forgive me all the artists in the room going, I've methodologicalized the Holy Spirit, but here we go. This is, oh, where's the screen? There it is, okay. See, on the, we've got alive or dead, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you don't invite him into your life, then on the right-hand side, where truth isn't even there, where you don't even know Jesus or what's being taught isn't the gospel, you can get excited, but it's mere emotionalism. That it's just, woo, the presence, woo, this is, this is exciting, but nothing actually changes in your life because you're just experiencing some kind of vibe or atmosphere. But there's nothing fundamental that's changed in your life because that vibe or atmosphere isn't substantive, right? It's like when you go into a yoga studio or a Pilates studio and you feel peaceful, but you go out and you actually stop feeling peaceful again because nothing's absolutely substantively changed. Just enjoyed an atmosphere. But most of the church is on the, right hand, on the left-hand side where truth is being spoken. And you may have been raised in an environment where truth was spoken, but what I would call is dormant. It's dormant, it's absolutely right. But it's not getting you up in the morning and causing you to run into the purposes of God for your life. You know it in your head and you think, oh, I should do that. And you feel guilty and shame because you're not more passionate. You're, you're not actually like these other people. You're not wanting to go to the prayer meeting. And it's like, mm, no, I mean, I, I guess I'm a Christian. That's true, but it's dormant. The job of the Holy Spirit is to bring that life to truth. And when that happens, you have renewal and revival and transformation in your life. 
And so far from being cautious about the Holy Spirit, we need to be desperate for him as Paul is praying, Father, give us your Holy Spirit. We do not want to be a dead church, full of dormant truth. This is the job of the Holy Spirit. So how does he do it? How does he do it? Paul, and we'll go into this later in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that this Holy Spirit wants to bring you alive in all the things of God. It's possible but not inevitable because you can push away the Holy Spirit. You can quench him. More, more importantly, you can actually not create space for him in your life. You can be so busy that you never actually create space for the Holy Spirit to set your heart on fire. Do you know, busyness is the greatest way that transformation is thwarted. Because you look at the life of Jesus and look at all of Christian spirituality over the last 2,000 years, there is no way that the Holy Spirit is going to barge into your life. He's a person. He's a friend. But he will meet you when you make space for him. Which is why I'm so proud when you come to church, because you're making space for God to connect with you, the Holy Spirit to change you. It's so important then to come to prayer ministry because you're making space for the Holy Spirit to transform you. It's so important that you're going, I'm gonna engage in the practices of Jesus and actually journal and actually maybe Sabbath and maybe go on a retreat or maybe just go out for a great coffee and read my Bible, which is what I do in the mornings. And I'm gonna create space because I don't wanna be a dormant Christian. I need to create space for the Holy Spirit to set me on fire. Sometimes he sets us on fire by turning on the lights in an instant and we see God in his magnificence in a moment and we're forever changed, but he equally doesn't sometimes do that, but the light dawns on you like a slow sunrise on a winter morning. And over years, you see more and more clearly I can trust him. Sometimes it's sudden, sometimes it's slow, but either way, you're creating space for the Holy Spirit to enlighten you. I'm gonna end with this again. It's just happening to me just these last two weeks. I heard some news and I was wrestling with it and it really started to pierce me around my significance and who I was and the old battles that I've had to war on all my life were kind of there. And I went back to God and actually for about a week, I was doing what maybe we often find that we do. We just kind of distract ourselves, numb ourselves, just watch more Netflix and ignore what's going on here. And I thought, you know what? And I was angry and I was not able to process it. And I wasn't like Jesus. It was like, this is turning me into a worse kind of human. And so eventually... I got out my pen and paper, my little journal, went for a walk, sat down with some great coffee and journaled and just said, Lord, Holy Spirit, what's going on? And as I wrote out, I have to write my feelings out, otherwise I don't know what they are. And I was writing out my feelings and saying, Father, what do I do about this? Father, what do I do? I suddenly felt the light coming back to my heart. And in this instance, it was God as my Father that my significance is found in my Abba Father's love for me. 
And that love can never be diminished, can never be increased by performance, can never be reduced by my brokenness. And over coffee, outside a blue bottle on Abikini, <laughs> tears start to come down my face. Because the Holy Spirit had revealed to me again the love of the Father. This is the Holy Spirit. And this is how we become God's vintage church. Let's stand together. Love you just to close your eyes. Our prayer team, and of our prayer team to come up. And just between you and God the Father, I wonder if you could echo this prayer as I read it out. Father, I pray you would give me your Holy Spirit. That once again, the eyes of my heart would be enlightened. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We make space in our lives through worship, through drawing aside just to meditate on your word, to pray, to soak in your presence because Holy Spirit, we want to see, we want to see again the riches of Christ, his love for us, his forgiveness, his empowering, the hope, the glory, the cosmic greatness. Come Holy Spirit. We're just gonna wait for a minute because this is what it means to allow space for the Holy Spirit. He's not a microwave. He slowly raises the temperature that we may see. So just continue to close your eyes, just a moment between you and God. If you're not used to this, it's just a spiritual practice of the early church to behold him. Come Holy Spirit. And if you even now just wanna come forward for prayer, maybe your name was read out, maybe you're needing a breakthrough in healing or maybe it's I need to see God. Then just start to come now. Just come for our, come to the, our prayer team are here. I had a word before the service of hunger. God's not going to force his spirit upon you. But he responds to our prayer, which is 
responds to our hunger. And hunger is active. It forces us to pray or come forward for prayer and worship and say, God, I need you. Come, Holy Spirit. We're going to sing a song. But you may not want to sing. You may just want to stay in this place of waiting and soaking in his presence. But God wants to take you from your head to your heart. So Jesus, as we worship, continue to open our eyes by your spirit. Let's worship. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.